And one of the things that I've learned over the years and with watching other writers, it doesn't feel like it, but sometimes God is, is giving us some of those speed bumps to slow us up a little bit. So that when he answers that prayer and when the contract comes through and the book sells, we're at a place where we can actually run with it. And it's a good thing for us. We'll talk about this and much more today. Welcome to a Writer's Day podcast. Hello and welcome to my podcast. My name is Ruth Douthit and I'm an award-winning author of books for middle grade readers. And I started this podcast a few years ago to provide writing tips and interviews with published authors to help you remain inspired to keep going forward on this writing journey. And I'm excited to announce that my book, The Road to Home, released last year, is a 2022 finalist for the Christian Indie Awards. I'm so excited about this. I wrote this book for you, folks out there who might be struggling with grief, who are able to use their artistic abilities to cope with grief and loss. The ebook is on sale right now on Amazon for 99 cents. That's a great deal. And if you do read the book, please leave a review. That's one thing we authors love more than anything is to hear how you liked our books. And even if you don't, please leave some constructive criticism. Reviews help authors. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and follow me on Spotify. And visit my website today to sign up for my newsletter. And you'll be entered for book giveaways and art giveaways that only newsletter subscribers are privy to. And you'll learn more about me and upcoming releases. Artbyruth.com. Sign up for my newsletter today. She is the award-winning author of Unknown Threat and the Dive Team Investigation Series. Lynn Blackburn believes in the power of stories, especially those that remind us that true love exists. She is passionate about CrossFit, coffee, chocolate, and experimenting with recipes that feed both body and soul. And she lives in South Carolina with her true love, Brian, and their three children. And I'm so excited to have her on this podcast today. So you know the drill. Grab your favorite beverage, a comfortable chair, kick back and relax as we listen to prolific author Lynn Blackburn discuss her writing journey and her newest book. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming on to my podcast today. You're in for a treat. We have Lynn Blackburn here with us to talk about her newest book, Malicious Intent. I just love that title. And as you know, <laughs> she introduced her readers to the Defend and Protect series in 2021. But now she has a story of revenge, greed, and sacrifice in the second installment in the series, Malicious Intent. So welcome, Lynn, to my podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, why don't you begin by telling my listeners a little bit about yourself, and then we'll talk about this wonderful book. Sure. So <clears throat> I am a Carolina girl. You might or might not be able to tell from the accent. I live in <laughs> South Carolina, 
And uh, I'm married to my husband, Brian. We have three kids, Emma, James, and Drew. And I started writing in my mid-30s. Um, I was an avid reader. And never it never occurred to me that all those stories I had in my head could, you know, you could write them down and they could turn into a book. Right. I don't know why that <laughs> thought never occurred to me, but it didn't. And then one day I thought, I could do that and uh, of course I thought it would be a lot easier than it turned out to be and I um, started writing in 2009 and um, published my first book in 2015 and then this book that we're talking about today Malicious Intent is my uh, my fifth book with Ravel and the second book in Fend and Protect series. Congratulations that's wonderful. Thank so thank you. What part of South Carolina? I am just outside of Greenville in Simpsonville, oh. South Carolina, upstate near the mountains of North Carolina. Ooh, beautiful. We lived in we lived in eastern North Carolina for a couple of years when my husband was in the Marine Corps and never had a chance to go visit South Carolina but always wanted to. We drove through it a few times. Beautiful, beautiful country, but we never got to go visit Charleston or other parts. Uh, well, I'm. I was born in North Carolina. I was born in Hendersonville, North Carolina. It was not far from Asheville. A lot of people know where Asheville is. Mm-hmm. And um, lived in Brevard. So I lived in the mountains. I'm a. I'm a. I'm an Appalachian girl. The mountains of North Carolina, the Blue Ridge Mountains, are home. And then I went to Clemson, and met my husband while I was at Clemson. And then now I've, I've lived in South Carolina a lot longer than I ever lived in North Carolina at this point. Uh, but my parents actually lived, my dad pastored a church in Bennett, North Carolina, uh, which is about 30 minutes from Asheboro. Mm. Um, and if you were in Eastern, where were you in Eastern North Carolina? We were at Havelock, North Carolina. Okay. It's by Cherry Point so Marine Corps we, Air Station. Yeah. Yes, Cherry Point, yes. So we, I set, um, part of the reason the, the Defend and Protect series is in Raleigh is because at my first series with Ravel, I created a county that is roughly in the center of North Carolina, and it's about an hour from Raleigh. Um, and a lot of that, I never lived in that part of North Carolina. Parents lived there for about 20 years. And so a lot of that came from, from my experiences with them. <clears throat> And then I wanted the Raleigh, I wanted my Secret Service agents to have a chance to talk to my characters in my first book. So I had to keep them close. (laughs) We thought about moving to Raleigh. It was so beautiful. We went there often. It's just gorgeous country. People need to get out there and see those two states. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's lovely. What books did you read when you were younger? You said you were an avid reader. What books did you read? Oh, goodness. Oh, everything I could get my hands on at the library. Um, I'm a big, I'm, I love libraries. Uh, I was, I, uh, Anne of Green Gables is a, a definite favorite. Um, Caddy Woodlawn, I remember Caddy Woodlawn, Trixie Belden, Nancy Drew, of course, mm-hmm. you know, with the suspense angle of things. Uh, all, all the Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys that I could get my hands on. And, and our library had this section of, of autobiography, or not autobiographies, biographies for kids. And I, I think I, I made it a mission to read all of them. So mm-hmm. I loved, uh, I love history. So I loved all the biographies, but especially 
Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Nancy Drew. I mean, what's not to love? Song mm-hmm. Crimes, Being Cute. You know, it was a great. It was great. Um, so that was that was my and and then I was probably eleven or twelve, I guess, <clears throat> when I read Love Comes Softly, um, mm-hmm. Janet Oaks um, classic, and I read the whole series and all of her books, and and then later. D. Henderson's O'Malley series was, I think, what was really my first understanding of romantic suspense, uh, as far as that goes. And those are those are still some of my all-time favorites. Ooh, wonderful! I always like to ask because it gives you a glimpse into who the author is when you ask what kind of books they like to read when they were little. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I loved Library Day and just treasured that day. But oh, yes. Also, when I was a stay-at-home mom, I would just go spend hours at the library. I would drop my son off at school and then head to the library and just stay there for hours. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, so tell us about this book and all the research. I mean, how do you do this kind of research for such, I mean, technology for amputees and all that? Tell us about this book and then how you came about writing it. Sure. So, Malicious Intent is the second book in the series, and it focuses on Dr. Ivy Collins, who we met very, very briefly in the first book. Um, And she is a uh, bioengineer and an entrepreneur who has a real passion for amputees. She had a family member who lost an arm, and it definitely uh, impacted her focus. She's obviously brilliant scientist but also has a keen business mind and those two things don't always go hand in hand um but in her case it does and so i loved the idea of putting her in raleigh because the the triangle park area the uh, research triangle park area there's so much innovation and science and engineering technology in that part of the world so it felt like a very good fit for raleigh the kind of place that would make uh, would be a good match and then i also um i I have a degree in chemical engineering from Clemson. And when I was at Clemson, I had a, a job working in the bioengineering department. So some of my favorite people were the grad students and the professors um, at Clemson in the bioengineering department. So it was a nice fit to pull that in. And then a lot, just a lot of internet research, YouTube videos, uh, asking people questions about, you know, can anybody talk to me? I talked to some people um, online about um, life without, you know, trying to live without um, an arm or a leg. And not that any of my characters are dealing with that, but from the perspective of the the heroine, that being her passion. And then the Secret Service, there is a Secret Service office, um, a resident agent in charge. It's called a RAC office in Raleigh. I have never talked to anyone there. <laughs> I do know where it is, geographically speaking, but um, but I do have a friend service agent and is willing to talk to me about things as long as he doesn't, you know, I, I never ask him for anything uh, confidential or anything like that, but he uh, is able to give me a lot of great insight into a daily, you know, what life is like. I learned so much about the Secret Service from him. Um, the first time we talked about it, we talked for hours about just the whole setup and what it's like to get trained and to be there and then mm. the, going through the process of doing investigative work and 
then protection and then back to investigative work in a lot of cases. And I think a lot of people don't don't realize that the Secret Service does so much more than protecting the president. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that was covered in the books as well, that while there is a, there is a protective mission, the Secret Service, the Secret Service has a dual mission. One is to protect, obviously, heads of state and things like that, but also to protect the um, infrastructure and financial system of the United States. And so this book focuses more on those aspects. Oh, wow, that is fascinating. Uh, yeah, I, for one, just know a little tiny bit about what the Secret Service does, so that is amazing. <laughs> so you're one of those scary smart people. <laughs> you know, chemical engineering, yeah. I mean, come on, that's left brain stuff. <laughs> I do occasionally get an odd look where, you know, people like, wait, how did you get from there to here? Uh, you know, I... I've always loved, well, that's not true. I didn't love science and history or science and math as a kid. I was an English and history fan in elementary school and middle school and then fell in love with algebra and chemistry in high school. And um, I'm also very practical and felt like being an English major wasn't a great way to pay the bills and being an engineering major had a better shot of that. Yeah, if you (laughs) could do it, definitely. Um, So, and I have no regrets. Uh, somebody was like, oh, don't you wish you'd started writing earlier? And I was like, no, I feel like God's timing is perfect. Um, I did, I, I have the life experiences that he wanted me to have and to, um, and I don't have any desire to go back to engineering. And so um, this is a good, you know, I, I have that experience, but I don't, I don't feel compelled to go back to it. I think it did exactly what it was supposed to do when it was supposed to do it. And now this is what I'm doing. And I think God's been in that all the way through. So I'm, I'm delighted with the path that he's taken me on. Mm, That's wonderful. So you're left brain and right brain type of person. That's (laughs) awesome. I'm more of the right brain person. I, for a brief moment in time, wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a surgeon because I love biology and physiology and anatomy. I just loved it. But I'm also an artist and a writer. And so I took chemistry in high school. And that was God's way of showing me, no, you're going to be an artist and a writer because chemistry was awful. <laughs> it may have just been oh, all Greek. I love it. And it yeah. That is true. But, and I also just, you know, I have to say, I do think some of it, there is a lot to be said for having amazing teachers in some of those subjects. Sometimes you just don't have a natural inclination to it and that's fine. Um, But I also had, I had a phenomenal algebra two teacher and a phenomenal chemistry teacher who had quite an impact on me. So I think that makes a big difference too. And when you do have maybe a little bit of a predisposition to, to a subject and then you pair that with a phenomenal teacher, uh, can really make a difference in whether or not you think that's something you would want to pursue. And I do. I I, I homeschool our boys, and so my, we're doing Algebra One with my son right now, and I'm so happy. And I have so many friends who are like, I can't. I don't know what we're doing. And I, you know, they're like, once we start getting into that higher level math, we're going to have to do something different. And I'm over here just like, yes, look at this. Do you see these exponents? And uh, you know. Uh. Look, you can solve for X, and there's a graph, and he's over here. He's great at math, but he doesn't find the joy in it. <laughs> oh, so he's normal. Good. <laughs> yes. I, he, bless him. He's got a very nerdy mother, but um, he's much more normal. <laughs> 
Yeah, my husband and I are both artists. We're very right brain. And so when our son started seventh and eighth grade, uh, I prayed, oh, God, please let him be good at math because his dad and I, we won't be able to help him at all with his homework. And sure enough, he was very, very good at math. So I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> but it is an, it's a great skill to have. And if, yeah, if you're good at it, that's, that's amazing, definitely. I would have loved to have gone into engineering. That's amazing. Well, let's transition now to some of the themes. Now, even though it's about, you know, it's the Defend and Protect series, you've got an agent, you know, and a very brilliant doctor, yet there's some themes in here that you would find in other books like a romance novel or a women's fiction book. So tell us how some of these themes and why you put these particular themes in this type of you know, genre. Well, I think it's part of why I love of writing romantic suspense because you do have, you, you kind of have three different things going on, especially in Christian romantic suspense. You've got some kind of spiritual theme of some sort happening where the characters are wrestling with these big issues. And then you also have the romance and you also have the suspense. And you can't get too bogged down in any of it. So it lets you tackle some heavy subjects without it feeling heavy. Um, I I read to escape. I read mm -hmm. for pleasure. I don't want to read a book that's going to make me depressed mm -hmm. or, you know, despairing of the human condition. And so that's a part of why I love romance, because you're guaranteed a happily ever after. You know, no matter how bad it gets, they're going to come out okay. And in this case, with these stories, with these characters, the they've gone through some really horrible things and they're going to have to decide if they're going to let go of this anger and and in some cases justifiable frustration and hurt and let it go and forgive and move on and i love that we get to see characters do that in fiction because it's so much easier to say well of course they should that that's exactly what they should do <laughs> when in our real life it's a lot harder <laughs> to to forgive and move on and and sometimes there's so much truth in fiction that you could acknowledge it and go, yeah, they, they probably should have done that. That was good. But yeah, I, and, and then this particular case, there's, there's some childhood hurt too, that things that happened and, and with things that were completely beyond their control and out of the kids control, but they had to, um, it, it had an impact on them and they also have to forgive, but then still having some boundaries in place as well, because some of the people that hurt them and, were responsible for some of these things are have not repented they are not sorry they are continuing on along those lines and so you have to have some some boundaries there and and I, I never believe in forgiveness from the perspective of it of it being a doormat situation mm -hmm. you forgive people for what they've done to you but you don't um it doesn't mean you have to allow them to continue to treat you badly or or whatever the case may be and you have to use the brain the Lord gave you and, and think about this. And, um, and I love that they have to wrestle with some of that as well. So I, I, I love putting all of that overlaid with the stress of a very intense, suspenseful situation. In this case, somebody seems to be trying to, you know, kill the heroine. And so needless to say, they would rather that didn't happen. And it makes it a lot of fun to see them wrestling with their faith while they're trying to figure out this suspense situation, whatever it happens to be in this case, 
um, related to Ivy's company and her business while falling in love. And, and this one was fun too, because I think it's, I, I like a good reunion romance or a, a second chance romance. And in this case, Gil and Ivy had known each other as kids and, and then as teenagers and for various reasons had not spoken in about 15 years. So it was great to give them that second chance at a, at a romance. And when you do all of that in 90,000 words, you don't get too deep into any of it. Uh, it makes a nice quick story that's fast paced, but, but hopefully touches on some themes that have enough depth to them that you don't feel like you're reading just complete fluff. I, you know, cause I, I want, I want a story that is uplifting and encouraging and helps me think about my faith, maybe in some new ways. Um, but I don't want it to be, you know, you don't, you don't really have a story if there's no conflict. Some bad things do have to happen to make this thing interesting. But I like to make it, I like it to be an enjoyable read and a fast read that people don't want to stop turning the pages and then they feel good when it's over. Mm, I like that. So you can have your characters go through some pretty serious things, but you're giving the reader some hope that in life yes. we will go through di difficult trials, but there's hope. Absolutely. Imagine there's a new writer in front of you who perhaps has been struggling and maybe wants to give up because it's, you know, it's a pretty tough business to get started and to be, you know, successful. What kind of advice or tips about dealing with those feelings of, you know, failure um, you might give a new writer out there? Sure. So it is hard and, and I think it's it's especially hard when you are at a point where you're starting to see some you know other people get contracts or sell books and you're still struggling to have that happen for you and there's there's two pieces of this one there was a time earlier in my when I first started writing that I was very frustrated and discouraged and my husband looked at me and he he's my biggest fan. He's super supportive, but he looked at me and he went, really, if you sold a book right now, what would you do from the perspective that I was so busy and I had so much going on. And if I had sold a book right then, <laughs> I don't really think I could have enjoyed it because it would have been so much work. And one of the things that I've learned over the years and with watching other writers, it, it doesn't feel like it, but sometimes God is, is giving us some of those speed bumps to slow us up a little bit so that when he answers that prayer and when the contract comes through and the book sells, we're at a place where we can actually run with it. Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing for us. And so it does come back a lot to trusting God's sovereignty and his wisdom and that he knows what is coming, even though we don't, you know, and I think if any of, I think we've learned that over the last few years that there are, there's <laughs> the life is unpredictable. You know, there's no way I think any of us could have predicted the last couple of years. And, but God knew that and God knew it was coming. And so the same is true in our individual lives. He knows what we're dealing with. He knows that we can handle and he knows what's going to be that perfect fit for us. So I always try to encourage people to lean really hard into the fact that God loves them more than they can imagine. And that he as is a good father and wants the best for them. And sometimes what we would settle for is not the best and trusting in him to give us the best when it's our the best time 
it's hard. It, I would never make it out to be easy because it isn't, but it's so worthwhile. And then along those lines, I would say just keep writing and write and write and write. I've never met a writer who sold a book who didn't wish they had written a few more before they got to that point. Mm-hmm. You, you learn so much when you finish a book. Uh, every book you finish, whether that book ever sells or not, you learn so much through the process of starting it and finishing it and revising it and cleaning it up and doing all that kind of stuff. And there's really no substitute for it. I'm, I'm working on my eighth, ninth, I, I don't know, I've lost count, eighth book. Um, I turn a book in tomorrow to my editor. And there are still things that I do wrong every single time that I have to catch. <laughs> but there's also an awful lot that I've learned about myself and I know about myself and I know that this is a tendency I have or whatever. But these are things that I did not know with my first couple of books. And so every book you write, you get better. So if you're struggling and if it's not happening, I would encourage you to just keep writing, keep writing and growing and learning in the craft because when you finally get to that point, that doesn't mean those books that have been sitting on the shelf won't have a new life um, down the road when you do get published. I've, I know quite a few writers who sold their fifth, sixth, seventh book, and then later the publisher, they were able to sell some of those earlier books that they had written. I still kind of have hope for my very first book that was never published because it's a great story and I love <laughs> it. And I, I hope someday it makes it to the page, so that would be great. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for that beautiful advice. Wow, that's so encouraging. And it's so true. That seems to be a common theme. And when I ask for authors for their advice, and that is to keep writing. You have to keep writing, even through the rejection and those feelings of failure. You can attend all the workshops and the conferences you can, but what it comes down to is you have to be writing. Absolutely. Sorry? I think most people have that. That's It's a hard. Oh, no, I just, it's hard. I, I would never want anyone to think it's an easy thing to do because it isn't. It is hard and you have to just decide every day, I'm gonna keep working on this because it's not going to, and and the thing is it doesn't really get any easier when you get published. You still have to work really hard. Uh, So it's good practice, even if it's not happening for you right now. That's good advice. In fact, I think it probably even gets harder when you're published because now you've got these pressing deadlines, right? (laughs) Yes. Oh, so much, yes. Well, thank you so much, Lynn Blackburn, for coming on my podcast today to give us some encouragement and to talk about this fascinating book. I'm really looking forward to reading it and for letting us know how beautiful South Carolina is. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. See, I told you it was going to be a treat to listen to Lynn Blackburn talk about her writing life and her new book, Malicious Intent available today on Amazon and wherever you purchase your books. Be sure to follow Lynn on her social media sites for more information for upcoming books. And I thank you so much for joining me today to listen to Lynn. I hope that you have been encouraged because that's the purpose of these podcast episodes to encourage you to keep going forward on your writing journey one step at a time. And until next time, God bless.